0: The F Word at Work from Fertility Matters at Work is a conversation about fertility and how it affects people at work. You'll be hearing conversations from our community about what they experience when trying to build their families as our aim is to help you better understand this issue by sharing these stories along with our own insights from the work we are doing Plus, we'll be talking to the organisations making these cultural changes the norm, as well as bringing you thought leaders from the workplace wellbeing space.
1: Middle managers were looking to the senior managers for the answers and they were looking to the senior managers as the role models to show them how to role model what we've been calling like leadership of the 21st century, which is how to be a flexible and family-friendly manager. And I just don't think those senior managers knew how to do it because no one had done it before. So I think there was a real reluctance to, to go down that route because it just hadn't been done.
0: Welcome to another episode of the F Word at Work podcast. I'm Natalie Silverman, one of three co-founders. And I was hoping to be joined by Becky Cairns, one of my other co-founders, but the tech gremlins have got the better of us. The reason why is this episode is an example of one of the collaborations that we have here at Fertility Matters at Work. Since we've launched, we've been having amazing conversations with those already supporting organisations on the workplace wellbeing agenda and working out how we can kind of align the work and the messages that we have with the work they're already doing. So you're going to hear a great conversation with one of our partners about the work that we're doing together and also you'll hear insights from the work they've done in the past. But one of the reasons I wanted Becky here was for her to just share a little about a webinar that we were part of just the other week with the diversity and retail group and Whittle and it was ourselves. Also Selfridges, who was one of the first organisations to join us to become Fertility Friendly accredited. And also Sweaty Betty were on the panel and... The conversation was fascinating. Becky told her story, which is so compelling, as well as explaining how we support organisations in raising awareness of this issue. And from our point of view, it was just amazing hearing from Selfridges. We've been working with them for just over a year now, and they talked through how when they launched the panel conversation, the impact it had, but also the feedback that they have since been getting from people within the organisation just saying, thank you for talking about this. because unfortunately it is still so taboo and if you're listening to this podcast because you're thinking okay we really need to kind of understand more about what we can do please do get in touch there will be details on the show notes and also at the end we'll signpost you to more ways that you can get in touch with us because the conversation is only picking up speed and as you'll hear from our guest today Helen Letchfield she also ranks it pretty highly on the workplace well-being agenda now before we get into this episode we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsors for this series, Apricity, which Is Next Generation Fertility and Apricity has a unique virtual model that uses AI innovation and technology to reimagine fertility care. Now to explain that the technology Apricity use is through their virtual models so they have virtual consultations and specifically their bespoke treatment app really guides and supports patients and their partners through their journey so they never miss an injection, they have instant access to their medical team and a dedicated advisor seven days a week. Apricity offers family building benefits to employers, health plans and individual patients And this goes from diagnostic testing to full fertility management, including medical treatments such as IVF, egg donation and egg freezing. Apricity helps build families by providing access to the best doctors, technology and unlimited support. Now, the Apricity Fertility Benefit can be bespoke, designed for your company for either Flexi Benefit, cash allowance or through your PMI. And you can discover how Apricity can support your employees just by visiting apricity.logspot.com. Life, so I'm really looking forward to my guest today. I'm going to welcome Helen Letchfield, who is a co-founder of PMP Coaching. She has over 20 years' experience in learning and development for global organisations, and Helen is here to talk a bit about her business, the insight she has in terms of the work that she's doing and what she sees as potential trends for 2023. So Helen, welcome to The F Word at Work. Thanks, Natalie. So let's start by talking about how you set up the business. I know um the, there's two of you, so tell me a bit about Henrietta as well. And I'm really keen to understand more about the need that you saw needed to be fulfilled in the coaching and the support that you're offering parents who are going back into the workplace.
1: Yeah, so rewind about 16 years, I can't quite believe it was 16 years ago that Henrietta and I uh, first met in an NCT antenatal class. Um, so we were both pregnant at the time. I was working in financial services in learning and development. Henrietta was working in retail um, in the finance side. And we sort of went through that whole journey of um, pregnancy and then having our babies around pretty much at the same time going off on maternity leave and then going back. And it was as we were going through that cycle that we realized just how hard it was to really look at the the personal change but also the professional change and we found at the time there was loads of help out there around the the parenting side, the baby side, what to do at home but there was literally nothing around how to cope with your career and how do you cope if you're really missing work whilst you're off on maternity leave and then when you want to get back into work nobody was really helping you return so that whole cycle of Going through being pregnant, being on leave, and then going back to work was really unsupported. So that was what really gave us the idea of setting up um, PMP coaching. It was always with the aim to help people through that transition. Uh, we knew we wanted to start with organisations because um, that is where you can um, hopefully make the biggest impact because you can get big groups of people together and and help them through their own transition. So that was the sort of the background really and. We we set about at the beginning 16 years ago, it was very much focused on maternity coaching. It was very much around helping women through the transition and getting them back to work.
0: And I know you're putting the emphasis on women there. Has that changed to be people in general?
1: Massively, yes. So over that 16 years, we've now moved from group face-to-face workshops for women to virtual one-on-one coaching for men, women, managers I mean, even now, we don't really call them mums and dads anymore. It's um, often referred to as primary and secondary caregivers. So even the language has changed massively over the years we've been doing it.
0: And over the time that you've been in this space, how would you describe the acceptance of this being a key part of an organisation's support package for its staff when they've gone through you know, this transition to becoming parents and coming back to the workplace?
1: Yeah, that has changed hugely as well, because 16 years ago, I think organisations weren't quite ready for it. So they were more thinking about making sure they were avoiding um, legal cases, that they were making sure that they were following the rules and the law around protecting women and making sure that they still had a job to come back to and that they were still um, welcomed back in but that has now massively changed. So that is much more around helping everyone back into the workplace and creating that family-friendly culture.
0: Because for so many people, work is such a tonic. And I think becoming a parent, it's such an identity shift, isn't it? That there's a lot of redefining your identity post-becoming a parent and getting back into the workplace. And has that been part of the learnings that you've had to give employers as well
1: yeah definitely Um, I think a lot of people hadn't realized the impact that that change can have on you as a person and I think the the thing that that organizations are embracing now is looking at that the fact that to be a family friendly and supportive organization you need to feel like you can bring your whole self to work And that means being able to play out the roles that are most important to you. So if you need to spend family time, which most people do, whether you're a parent, whether you're a carer, you need to be able to spend that time in order for you to feel happy so that you're your best self at work. And I think organisations are finally realising the importance of making people feel welcomed and supported organisations, the most progressive ones are now using that and that Creation of that culture as an attraction and a retention tool, and that absolutely wasn't happening 16 years ago. As I say, you know, it's gone from let's just make sure we're saying and doing the right thing and ticking the boxes to let's create a family-friendly culture where everyone feels welcomed and supportive. Oh, and actually, we can use that to attract the best talent. So it's been an enormous shift over the last 16 years.
0: Now we're talking about this period of time, and I'm 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 keen to get what you feel has changed since the period that we just been through with the pandemic but before the pandemic had there been any significant shifts in attitudes that you'd witnessed before what we've just been through?
1: Yeah but it was slow so I think the pandemic has has really accelerated it so very slowly in the years when we set up to the pandemic very slowly we managed I think to create the awareness in organisations that that people, parents, women in particular, need to be looked after, but it was slow. We managed to make slow progress in the area of leadership development. So um, helping make sure that managers are aware of what they should be saying and doing. But again, that was slow. And I think initially organizations were reluctant to touch that manager population and to actually get them fully involved in creating um, really great um, leadership. So that all ticked over very, very slowly. And then when the pandemic hit, everything was accelerated because, of course, then we had everyone at home and we had a lot of dads now spending so much more time with their families, which meant that they got used to the family routines, they got used to working from home and that flexibility that, that gave them, which they never had before. So when everybody then started to go back, suddenly both mums and dads were asking for continued flexibility and still are and they were asking to be recognized when they want to go and do the school pick up at four o'clock and when they need time off for uh, medical appointments, antenatal appointments and because that demand from both men and women has soared since we've all started to go back after the pandemic, organisations have had no choice now. They have had to put in place measures to ensure that their companies are family friendly. Because your
0: ethos as an organisation is to create inclusive and family friendly working cultures globally. Would you say then, from what you yeah. just said, that the pandemic has actually helped one of your core values
1: and yeah, helped organizations yeah. understand
0: why it matters. It actually
1: has. And that global element as well, I, mean, I think that's made a massive difference to the service that we're able to provide with our coaching team. Because previously, we were all face to face, which meant that the, our coaching team was predominantly working with our clients who were London based because they were traveling to the client offices to do all the sessions face to face. And now, of course, because all the sessions are held virtually, Um, over Zoom or Teams or just on the phone. And everybody loves that. And we've noticed that the parents themselves and the the people within the organisations we're working with would much prefer to have a coaching session in the comfort um, and the confidentiality of their own home rather than doing it in the office where, you know, it's a personal thing that they're talking about. So we've noticed that because people are happy to have these conversations at home, it's meant that we have now been able to find a global pool of talented coaches and it means now that when somebody's going through the parental transition they don't just have to choose somebody because they're located in london they can choose from somebody who's in you know dubai if they want to if they like the look of that coach profile and they feel that connection so there's that global element which has been really really brilliant for us and and i think for anyone really who's looking for coaching
0: and obviously you can work 24/7 because of different time zones and people yeah. being everywhere i just want to go back and pick up on what you said about there being a bit of a reluctance for managers to be kind of targeted in some of that um, Um, kind of focus or training why was that why why are employers nervous about asking managers to do more
1: I think a lot of it was because of the, the, the pressures that are placed continuously on those middle managers. And they all went through exactly the same as what we went through in the pandemic. But I did a lot of management coaching during the pandemic. And, and one thing that I realized was, of course, that you know they're struggling in the same way that we are. But they were looking, the middle managers were looking to the senior managers for the answers. And they were looking to the senior managers as the role models to show them how to role model what we've been calling like leadership of the twenty first century, which is how to be a flexible and family friendly manager, and I just don't think those senior managers knew how to do it because no one had done it before. So I think there was a real reluctance to to go down that route because it just hadn't been done. So slowly over the last few years, as the awareness around the need to be more flexible and the uh, the need to to have that family-friendly, supportive team culture has really played out. Um, I think it's just evolved naturally. But it's just a skill gap, I think, years and years ago, a skill gap, a knowledge gap as to how to do it. And probably they didn't realise the impact that you can have if you are a supportive, family-friendly and flexible manager. They didn't realise that people want to work for those types of managers much more so after the pandemic then of course we had the war for talent people were losing all their best employees and they were going to work for managers who were welcoming and who were who showed great leadership skills and could role model what that great leadership um, skill would look like. Because
0: we've had people talk to us about being lucky that they had a good line manager and we don't want it to be luck of the draw, do we? And I think as well, the narrative anyway, in in the media and in society in general, has changed to talk about the modern family more. So we know that roles have changed and organisations need to kind of keep up with that change. I'm interested in whether there were any areas that clients were interested in in terms of support and coaching that you maybe didn't expect? Or was it all quite you were leading the way in what you thought and they were following your guidance?
1: I think it might be a bit of both, but I think what has surprised us and where we've evolved over the last year, as as, I suppose it's been around what does family-friendly mean to each organisation? And what has taken us by surprise is the speed at which organizations are now, especially in HR and, and uh, D&R and L&D, they're happy to look above and beyond family friendliness as just that parental transition. And I think the speed at which that has changed has really surprised me. So, for example, our work together, Natalie, starting to look at the whole journey. So looking all the way from some of the, the early female challenges, all the way from menstruation, fertility, The parental transition all the way through to menopause, then gendered ageism, as well as we start to um, look at that full life cycle. And what I'm really realizing is that organizations are now ready to embrace that whole cycle, not just. What was obvious previously around that maternity and the discrimination and that that is moving way faster than I thought it would, which is brilliant news for all of us, because it's really hitting the agenda now that there are lots of different challenges that a typical person, obviously females, that they, they go through a lot of these challenges and yeah, and I think it's that realization from organisations that they have to support the full cycle. And it's
0: it's brought me really nicely onto my next question because we've we've talked a lot about family-friendly organisations and at Fertility Matters at work, we kind of try to talk about this pre-family and family building and being friendly to to those in that space, which you've just alluded to in 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 what organisations are looking at. So. When it comes to that fertility conversation, having more uptake within the workplace, like you, we've been equally not surprised because I suppose we knew that it had to happen, but we're trying to keep up with it. Do you think that organisations are ready then? Because the momentum is there. We've seen what happened with the menopause and obviously the lockdown put the emphasis on mental health and the need for that. And you're talking about the work you've been doing over a 16-year period around the parental transition. So we've we've broadened the scope now of what we're asking organisations to do. In terms of that fertility journey and the uptake around that, You know, we're starting to work together, and I know that you're hearing more people ask about the conversation. So, do you think that companies are ready for this? They're like, right, okay, it isn't just this one thing, it is going to have to be, as you've just described, this whole journey.
1: Yes I definitely do however different organizations in different sectors are at different places so I think um, what we have noticed and which has been fantastic is that you know previously we had lots of companies coming to us in in um, the finance sector or in insurance or in law they were the ones who started but now the brilliant thing is is not only is uh, people happy to talk about the, the whole, conversation, including fertility, that are also coming to us from different sectors. So we've got a lot of male-heavy, male-dominated sectors, such as uh, manufacturing, um, and we've got quite a lot of people coming to us in that field, and which is fantastic, because even though there's a, a less women there in, in some of these um, industries, they are recognising the need to hear their um, opinions, to listen to what support they need fertility keeps coming up time and again as something um, which people have recognized that they want to break that taboo about talking about it. So I think the culture we're in right now is and and the, the culture that a lot of organizations are hoping to create is around breaking the bias and breaking the taboo and sharing and talking about these experiences so that solutions can be then put into place to help people get through challenges such as fertility at work. You
0: mentioned about that more male-dominated environment and we had an interesting conversation recently with a man who talked about knowing he had the support in the workplace was like that psychological contract and made him want to be more loyal because he felt that they had his back. And it's that kind of conversation that we want to encourage when we know that this isn't a normal conversation um, uh, amongst men, um, that there is maybe more of a reluctance to admit mental health-related issues but also we know because often if the focus if we're talking about a heterosexual route through fertility that the focus is on the woman that the man can feel redundant but we also want to highlight that men do suffer if there's pregnancy loss there's all the grief around that if there is the trials and tribulations of fertility treatment that organizations understand that if we're talking about a heterosexual or a same-sex couple or even a solo route to parenthood, that there are lots of ups and downs that these people need to feel supported in. And it's a a lengthy process. Do you think then that in terms of advice for HR, wellbeing leads, managers, because I wonder whether there is quite a bit of overwhelm around all these different topics that people are having to take on and learn about and be empathetic towards. What advice would you give? Do you think that we need to spend a bit more time kind of reassuring people about how they will cope? with this load, this mental load that they need to now be responsible for in supporting their staff?
1: Mm. Yeah, I think we definitely organisations um, like ourselves need to spend as much time as we can with HR, D&I and L&D in collaboration with them really because they know, we know what needs to be done but it's a case of us joining forces to make sure that we can give the right messages to the senior managers and the decision makers and the executive teams where we need them to continually give time and effort and money to raising awareness so I think there's definitely something in in us all working together I think in terms of focus I would probably pick up on the, the point we were just making about making sure that whatever we're offering to women also gets offered to men I'd say you know that would be probably for those organizations that are um still fairly early on in in the journey of of creating this family-friendly workspace is really to not just rely on initiatives for women but everything you put out put out for both men and women we've always called um, our coaching work parental transition coaching um, rather than maternity coaching everything we do um, is trying to help Um, HR and organisations come up with, I guess, creating that equal playing field. So not making things a women's problem. And it's exactly the same as the work that you're doing around recognising the impact that these challenges have on both parties, men and women. So I think that would probably be the main message, really, in terms of looking at where to start. It's equalising the playing field, offering all of these support initiatives, for both men and women, regardless. And as I said before, you know, we often don't even call them mums and dads now, we just call them primary and secondary caregivers. And I think just starting to use that language starts to even the playing field.
0: What do you think then is going to be a big talking point this year?
1: I think it's going to be around that continuation around the work that has been done this year around family friendly workplaces. And I think what, people will start to really recognise is the role that the family-friendly workplace plays in attracting the best talent and retaining the best talent. I think the more we can do um, around proving the return on investment, I think will help and we've certainly done a lot in that area, and, and this is going to be a big focus for us in, in 2023. It's looking at making sure that we're able to evaluate all the coaching work that we do against some of the DNI drivers within organizations so that they can actually have the proof that the work that we're doing together does increase. Um, attraction retention rates that it does make people feel more supported so I think that's the first thing but then more specifically I've got a feeling that um, we're going to be um, spending much more time and recognition around um, gendered ageism I think that's the next thing that's coming Um, when we started to talk about the impact of the female health challenges it will be continuing the, the work from the fertility through the parental transition and the menopause But I think the big thing, the big gap is that the the back end almost of somebody's career recognising the impact that people are being forced out of the workplace, especially women, much, much earlier than they should be. um, And it's becoming a big issue. There's been quite a few articles recently in the press. There's also been some studies um, coming out as well around um, really uh, highlighting the impact that people over 50, I guess it's the over 50 population, the the, the impact that the um, g- managers and the culture is having on their ability to remain in the workplace. And I think because we are so short of talent, the over 50s population, male or female, is so, so crucial. To a, a levels of experience um, from both the sort of technical perspective within an organization, but also from that personal and leadership perspective as well. So this year the focus is going to be much more around um, the, the gendered ageism and really starting to offer support and help to make sure that we can retain. Really talented over fifties, and
0: this is a bit of a sideball. And don't worry if you're not happy answering it. I, I'm just interested if you are. In terms of the childless conversation, because with the work that we do around educating about fertility, we try to highlight that it's not always a given that somebody's route if they are going through fertility treatment or they're struggling to build their family that they are going to end up with a child. And in terms of what you're doing and and helping organisations understand about that parental transition. Do you, in the work that you do, look at then the workforce that aren't parents and the kind of things that you're talking about that a a parent needs? And I know you're talking about referring them to primary and, and secondary carers. Obviously, we know that family can mean all sorts it can mean the carer role so it's not necessarily dependents being children but being parents their parents for example is that part of the work you do?
1: It is definitely and um, what we also offer and, and work with managers on is work and family balance coaching and when we're talking about families we make it very clear that we are actually talking about anyone who has a family so we're talking not about those people who are parents but also those of us who are carers um, those of us who are starting to you know, look after our perhaps elderly parents. We're looking also at people who just want uh, more flexibility. You know, they, they might have got big life goals. They might want to travel the world, take a sabbatical and then return to work after that. So this is all around helping people balance whatever they do outside of work with what they do inside of work and make sure that their roles are Um, Of personal life and professional life are able to complement each other so absolutely a lot of the work uh, uh, what we do is around being able to bring your whole self to to the workplace being um, supported for whatever choices you're making whatever life stage you're in just knowing that you've got that community feel and that you're accepted for who you are in the workplace is is really something that we want to help, try and help people create in their team.
0: Because so many people work is that community like you've just described. If they are maybe in a position of having to look after elderly parents and quite isolated as a result of that, work can then be, as I said earlier, that tonic and that slight even though there's obviously the pressures of work but that 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 place that they can feel that they can relax a bit and so you want them to feel respected and looked after as well there don't you
1: exactly yeah and I think it's just working with managers as well to make sure that they don't make assumptions about anyone's personal circumstances um, and that they're able to just listen and just think about tailoring their leadership according to that individual, what they might be going through at that point of time. Um, so, just getting managers to think through. Uh, examples of where they have, without even realising, made an assumption about what someone is going to do next or how they spend their time outside of work. So I think it's just trying to open up that conversation with managers around just being much more able to, to, to listen, to sit back and observe rather than making assumptions about how somebody wants to be led and how somebody wants to spend their time.
0: Helen, thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting speaking with you.
1: Thanks, Natalie.
0: So I hope you found that interesting. If you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, please do in the app that you're listening to, just you hitting follow. Let's other people know that this is worth them listening. Keep listening to the end to hear how you can follow us on our socials. They'll be in the show notes as well if you're on the move. But I just wanted to say as well, do sign up for our newsletter. We're putting even more info in there that is really useful for you in making these decisions, taking these next steps to become fertility friendly. Again, details will be in the show notes and on our website, which you'll hear now. Do follow us on our socials at Fertility Matters at Work on Instagram and LinkedIn. It's where we share the free events Events that we have as well as survey findings and lots of interesting conversations from our community we're at Fertility Matters Work on Twitter plus we've got loads of free resources at fertilitymattersatwork.com if from what we've shared with you you feel ready to talk more about how your organization can become fertility friendly do book a call via the website link it will be great to hear from you